0: Hello, and welcome to Bab Pod Die, a Babylon Project miniseries about the comic book die, where we tumble through feelings about RPGs and some terrible British nerds. I'll be your game master, Justin, and joining me are my two players, Jude, Anna. Jude, Anna, it's our penultimate episode. How are you doing?
1: Uh, good. <laughs> These are the two issues where I finally felt like I, I had an idea what the fuck was going on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's about right. I'm doing good. We had we had a pretty good uh, slate of uh, trick or treaters this year for Halloween, so that was exciting. Uh, and we had Pokemon cards to give them in addition to the candy. Which <sighs> let me tell you,
0: you are the coolest. You are the like uh, I like. I see this as a 33 year old. You are the coolest
2: house of the block. Yeah, they were well, very popular. I was gonna
1: say, according to my son, my six year old son, or my seven year old son. That makes you one of the cool houses because when we were going around the neighborhood, he divided houses into three categories. There were the good houses, which were the ones that mm-hmm. gave out big candies. There were the lame houses, which gave out stuff like pencils and fun size candies. And then there were the cool houses, which gave out the like mm-hmm. Halloween Pokemon cards or full size yeah. candy bars and like the real good stuff.
0: His friend got an entire. Did did he get any house that gave out fentanyl?
1: (laughs) No, no, no fentanyl. Uh, Just literally one house was giving out like handfuls of full-size Snickers. Wow. He got two full-size Twix bars from another house. Yeah. Our neighborhood is wild. Um, but yeah, he got he got those packs of the Halloween Pokemon cards from a couple of houses, which was dope because he was dressed like Ash. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, so and he looked good. He had like the pose mm-hmm. down. It was yeah. pretty dope. I
2: yeah. think I think for next year, um, I've got a plan to do do a couple of things: full size candy bars from Costco, um, and also to go to H Mart and pick up like multiple bags of every single flavor of Kit Kat they have. So, like, the matcha flavor and the, like, chestnut flavor and, like, the strawberries and cream flavor, just going to go wild with that.
1: Nice. You want to be real popular, uh, at least according to my neighborhood, uh, hand out fireball shots to the parents.
2: (laughs) That really knocked them over. Mm -hmm. Wow.
1: There was a house on my neighborhood that had, like a 36 pack of the little fireball bottles and was giving them out to parents uh and they were super popular (laughs) let me tell you
0: i I, like
1: there were a couple of groups we walked past that smelled distinctly of cinnamon and we were like what the fuck is going on (laughs) it's pretty funny
2: good good way to keep warm on a cold halloween right yep I mean, yeah. not actually, because that's not actually how alcohol works, but it's a good way to make yourself feel like you're warm. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. And that's, and truly, that's what matters.
0: I have a question for you because, uh, you know, sort of vibes with uh, uh, maybe like the, the, the title, of the first issue here. What is either the most memorable or funny player death you've had in a game? Could be yours, could oh. be like a player you GM'd or.
1: Mm hmm. No, I, I, I got this one. The first vampire game I ever played in uh, was notable for us not really grasping how the game worked and uh, emboldened by uh, the previous session in which I leapt off a 100-story building and thanks to the benefits of blood-based healing survived. The political-based vampire in our group thought that he could simply uh, outshoot the group of vampires that came to confront him rather than uh, confronting them, you know, with words, which is what the GM intended. And the GM, bless his heart, tried so hard. He gave him like eight opportunities to be like, are you sure you don't want to talk to them? And he's like, nope. So he started shooting. And not only did he make, not only was he making rolls, he was ill-equipped to make. He also rolled them badly.
2: Oh no. Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, because we were, uh, like 16 year olds, um, he died. I mean, he died so fast and so completely. Uh, there wasn't even like enough of him left over at the end of the, of the scene to like bring back from the dead, uh, his punishment, uh, For the from the GM was to be a ghoul. After that, he wasn't allowed to make a vampire, another vampire right away. He had to make a ghoul, um, which ended up becoming a whole bit, a running bit in our group. But yeah, it was the most spectacular uh, moment of self inflicted destruction uh, I've seen uh, in my entire career of gaming because it was so, it was a total self own. (laughs) There was. Self-inflicted completely.
0: Anna, how about you?
2: Oh, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. Um, okay. I I've had very few player character deaths. The one notable one though is in the longest running campaign I've ever played in, it was uh 3.5 Expedition to Castle Ravenloft. Um great module. Love it. Um I was playing The Cleric, which If anybody has played Ravenloft before, um, the cleric is an important character to play. (laughs) And I was playing, in fact, a prestige class of cleric. Um, It was the Holy something of Lethander or something like that, which, like, basically, it's like if you took a cleric and you took the cleric part and then you turned it up to 11. Um, Mm, So turning undead, I had, like, all the turn undead feats to, like, I could just, like... I, I like calculated out at one point and there was like a chance that I could, there was like a non-zero chance I d- I wouldn't have to roll a 20 to turn Strahd. Um, and cool. also like maximize healing, all, all of that good stuff. Um, So of course my character was then like the target for Strahd in the final battle, right? Like that, it, it was like, because I could basically like, just cast a heel on him, and, like murder him. <laughs> right?
0: Uh, I, lo- I love that. Like, honestly, my favorite thing in any RPG is using heal spells on Undead.
2: Yeah. So so Strahd, <laughs> like starts out the battle and just goes like beelines for my character. And it's just like, I am going to murder you and you specifically. And then you will be dead and fuck you. Uh, which, fair. Like, fair. There's only one way to run that fight with that, that type of character. And it's that. So, of course, my character went went down, died. Then, um, I forget whether it was after the battle or before or, like, during the battle. um, But I think it was afterward. um, So, I was down for most of the battle. Mm -hmm. We had some sort of resurrect thing in somebody's inventory. So, somebody then resurrected me after the battle and then... Um uh, my character got you know you know hot and steamy with Irina. Um and they rode off into the sunset together. Uh Muriel the uh the dwarf cleric and Irina the you know bride of Strahd. Nice. We we ruled we ruled uh Barovia, you know, justly and well. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was funny because I I had kept the entire party up for the entire game. Um and like since there's so much un, so many undead, like I was also oh, yeah. DPS.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then and then yeah, come to the come to the final battle, it's like, nope, I'm just toast.
0: Uh
1: in the spirit of of total party kill, I sh- I should mention I should want to mention uh an honorable mention in which very briefly, uh I was playing Uh, White Wolf's Trinity game Uh, and I convinced a at a con at Gen Con and I convinced my table uh, most of whom had never played the game before and thus lacked the knowledge like the setting knowledge Uh, and I straight up just terrified them all with tales of like how scary aberrants were when we (laughs) encountered one uh, into party wiping by blowing up a, a space station uh, to, t- to take out the aberrant. And the GM is just sitting there with this horrified look on his face because we were supposed to do something else. But uh, I reacted so negatively, so like with with such immediate negative fear to the presence of an aberrant that I detonated the space station we were on and ended the adventure an hour early. <laughs> it was great.
0: Mine is, because I, I, it just like I run games. And generally when I run games, I... Don't lean towards including a lot of player death, depending on the system. There's one game, like most of the time I will, like, you know, uh, I will broach somebody over like especially like, you know, like a DD game of like, oh hey, how do we want to handle player death or something? You know, how how strict do we want to be in that? There is one game where I play the game rules as written when it comes to character death. That is <laughs> fucking Delta Green. Yep. Um yep. Delta yeah, Green. My
1: guess was my guess would have been uh what's it called? The the vamp, the vampire version of that game. Yeah.
0: Um Night's Black Agents. That one is a lot more action-movie. So uh so Delta Green is what if you take Call of Cthulhu and make it 21st century and uh include shit about like, you know, but make it X-Files basically. It's Call of Cthulhu but X-Files. And uh, the game has a stunning amount of lethality in it. And um for one of my Halloween things, I uh brought my like current girlfriend into our gaming group who had never played a role-playing game before, and I was like and and you know it's like, "Oh hey, this isn't D&D, but you know, it's it's something a little bit like, you know, it's a little bit out there." The the task was to investigate like some cultists who had been who had been basically marking whales with elder signs (laughs) and there's like this whole and and, and like i I hate it oh my god i hate it (laughs) Yeah, like it basically been doing like graffiti on whales like arcade graffiti on whales that is that but it basically ends up this thing where you raid a house there's cultists inside there's a door to like an extra dimensional island but basically like ending up with like some like partial deep one cultists in this house. So a fight breaks out and our scientist gets into a hand to hand fight with like one of the cultists and my, my like girlfriend at the time who like was like, Oh, Hey, I want to shoot into combat. And I'm like, I I want you to understand what this is. And i am like, you know, I'll explain it. Like there is a chance that if you like, if you miss or, you know, roll badly that you could hit your teammate. And like, She's like, yeah, I understand that. You know, let's go. And, and I was like, and I, and because I love of, where this is going because it was because it was like this is a potential for PVP. I, I turned to I turned to the player to like, are you cool with this? And she's like, yeah, no, I've been ruling badly for this entire fight. So I think <laughs> this would be fun. So says, <laughs> so, OK, I'm firing full auto into melee and delta Green specifically has a rule for (laughs) called lethality which involves stuff like automatic fire and explosives and that is how a cultist and a player got killed in one round of combat with one (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: that's fantastic it is
0: it is legitimately one of my funny things because it's like i don't do player deaths a lot even in like higher action games and it was just so fucking funny you know it's like one of those things of like okay i'm signposting this i'm warning everybody does anybody want to do everything differently nope okay let's do it (laughs) and it went in the best way possible all right tonight however we are we are we we we're doing sort of we're we're doing pre-lovecraft mythos um we are doing issues 17 and 18 of die uh total party kill and lines and veils He's written by Karen Gillan, art by Stephanie Hans, lettered by Clayton Cowles. <sighs> Issue 17, Total Party Kill, of course, starts with a quote from that dude, H.P. Lovecraft.
1: H.P. Buttcraft.
0: I wonder, though, if I have a right to claim authorship of things I dream. I hate to take credit when I did not really think out the picture with my own conscious wits. Yet, if I did not take credit, who in heaven will I give credit to? Hmm. So H.P. Lovecraft is taking the group through his giant corpse, which is a like big, deep... I mean, it's, it's Moria. We'll get to the whole yep. thing, but this is Moria. Um, he asks them what brings their small and futile intellects to the land of those who lurk beyond reason. They decide to just... Tell the whole backstory, the dice, the two worlds. He tells them they have already failed. Isabel refuses to accept this and asks Lovecraft what the last thing he remembers was. He says that it was going to sleep in 1919 before most of his well-known work was written. Chuck, like provided, like the only person like, you know, Chuck being the person who had read Lovecraft, apparently, uh, provides that the only stories he had published were of Randolph Carter, who was sort of a self-insert, who went to a land of dreams when he slept. Lovecraft talks about the haunting dreams of shapes and cults gathered in circles who revered his name. He saw that there were gr- that there would these groups would usher in, and Izzy asks the dreamer to see his vision. The non-Euclidean shapes that Lovecraft was being haunted by, the amoral god at the end of time, was the dice.
1: <laughs> I will get there. Yeah, but there is nothing about this that I don't love. It's so, like this is the, that the yeah. cults Lovecraft is dreaming about are are gaming groups, and that the non-Euclidean shapes are d de- tw- like polyhedral dice sets. Is it's the so
0: most funny? It's, I love it's it. Like, it's so it's funny. The most yeah
1: bananas fucking. Perfect leap.
2: The the non-Euclidean is like if you took all of the all of the dice and condensed them into one construct, basically. Yeah, yeah. And once you once they untease it, it's is so cool.
1: I wish I could have been in the room when they when Gillen like had that brainwave to do that because he it must have just been like a like a sun
0: bright light bulb.
1: It's such a fucking wild idea. I love it.
0: It has been. 100 years since Lovecraft was taken to Earth. And hey, Call of Cthulhu uses a D-100 system. <laughs> and frankly, at this point, I'm just like screaming and flipping my desk. And uh, yeah, the cults that Lovecraft saw were the groups of people playing games based on his work. Lovecraft decides that he will take them to understand the fallen. He takes them to a room full of glass balls where uh, Angela can see a group, another party. The orbs are countless. When Angela sees one of the players die, the orb shatters and a fallen emerges. Uh, it's a nice little, it's a little nice little crossover with Pod Space Nine. We got some orbs. These are like yeah. actual orbs this time.
1: Actual orbs for for Christ's sake.
0: Uh, I love
1: that.
2: Our listeners will have to again, wait I'm, for this joke though. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, no. This this is a joke that will t- that this is, this is a a preannual joke.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll get there on this one, but this is another piece of wild. That's why I'm so, I, I, I love these issues Mm -hmm. particularly for so many reasons, but I love that we're finally getting some answers. And this is such a good one that the fallen are literally the fallen of everybody's game groups.
0: Uh, Lovecraft says the presence of so many fallen is proof that they will fail. Uh, Matt bids Lovecraft to lead them further, but he says he has shared his tale and only gestures their way forward. As they go, the dreamer just decides, hey, I'm cashing in all my favors right now. Kill Lovecraft. She does, and the monsters in the realm come alive, and they have to do a panic teleport, leading them to a cave on the shores of a lake. Chuck rails against Isabella for killing Lovecraft, and the sincerity does not bode well. A tentacle monster emerges. They try to find a way to open the door at the end of the cavern, as Matt has a traumatic episode from The Squid, which has has his mother's eyes. As the monster comes closer, Soul realizes that he has been this way before in his past. Ash shouts, "You know, get us in!" And Soul speaks the door's password, "Friend." <laughs> of Ash course. has a sudden realization: they are delving too deep. right mm-hmm. I love this issue. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This issue is bananas. There's so many good, brilliant little reveals in this episode.
2: Mm-hmm. I continue to ship sell and ash even more.
0: Oh, it's so good. It's Right. We'll talk about this. We'll talk about this I think in the next in like our in our yeah. finale episode, but yeah. I have a specific polycule ship for the for like end game here. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is like the interesting thing of like out of time the like Every like the, this cavern of orbs of all of the all of the players are all like all of the players that will ever come to die encased here and just erupting. I don't know. Maybe across every maybe across every instance of die as a player dies.
1: Yeah. Is it? Are they? So uh, that was one thing I was not clear on. Are those? The pe- all the instances of people that will ever die in Die, or are those all the people that will ever die playing games?
2: Is it, and is it the people or the characters too?
1: Or the characters, yeah.
0: I think like this, this is my like thing is like each orb is a player in Die across one of its various instances um, mm-hmm. who is a potential fallen. Yeah. I, I do not think that we that if we play a game I do, I do not think that if we like if we play a game of D&D that we all all three of us would become orbs and die. But I think if you <laughs> are somebody who has traveled to die you become you become a potential fallen so you are an orb.
1: See that yeah, see I I interpreted it as the first one. Yeah. That it was every time you play an imaginative game of the kind that die connects to yeah.
0: it
1: Every character, every time you project yourself into that game, it creates an orb. And when you die in that game, it creates a fallen.
2: Yeah. That that was my interpretation as well, which puts which also puts Molly into an interesting context too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think oh I think we've like we're we're given to believe that like Molly has been to die.
2: Yeah but it's not 100% clear, right? Because yeah. like Molly is a fallen. They're operating based off of their understanding of the fallen. Yeah. Um but even even after having the nature of the fallen explained to us, there's still I feel like ambiguity there.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like how like some like in 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 the thing where they're where they're discussing like one hundred years, D one hundred. Where, in the in the in the narrative, it says D one hundred is a conceptual dice that some mad fuckers actually made one. <laughs> I the greatest crime I have ever seen is a metal D one hundred. Oh my god! Which somebody? It's like, a lethal s-
2: weapon, right? And,
0: and yeah, no, I, I it, it was like it's I because they are because you have to have one hundred phases for that die. They're huge they're like um
2: i've never seen one that was like smaller than like a baseball yeah
0: they're like, or they, are, like they're like pretty close yeah they have to be like baseball sized at like that's generally the size you see them at and like the metal one it was like somebody like a, a friend of mine brought brought a metal d100 to a game i ran and we were somebody says and and like the person whose house we were at is like, no, this table is nice. You are using a dice tray for this <laughs> because if you roll this <laughs> thing, it will dent my table.
2: <laughs> yeah, valid.
0: But yeah, uh, back to, back to Lovecraft. It's such a fascinating thing. Of like, Lovecraft ends up like within this is the person who he sees. Like he this this isn't even like. Oh yes, I have created this thing, and people are going to be influenced by it. He hasn't even created the majority. Like he, nobody, nobody cares about the Randolph Carter, Carter works, right? Uh, they're mm-hmm. like the, the, all of his mythos well, stuff would come. I like them. Well, yeah, I, I mean, nobody
1: uses them. They're not what they're not what created the mythos. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it, it's. One could argue that, like, I mean, the mythos is like it's not even Lovecraft's work. It's what it's what became of his work after he died, and that other people ran with. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, um, gosh, what is uh, I can't remember his name, but there's like there there are there are people who collate basically and like cre- and basically will like organize. I know
1: who you're thinking. I know who you're thinking of. I can't remember his is, name either, but I know exactly who you're. thinking I want to say
0: something. Durlin. That sounds right, but I'm like, I'm, oh, I'm blanking yeah. here. Uh,
1: um. Yeah, you're close. But yes, uh, I do. Th- I, I agree with you. I think it's wild that the version of Lovecraft that we get in Die is before all of that. It's the one that is connected to dreaming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then that's the one that ends up in Die. And the one that goes on to write all these increasingly fantastic things is the one that is has witnessed these things and then his imagination spins out all these other stories from it mm-hmm. but he's no apparently no longer connected to die he's already
2: well is is he though because um i found i found lovecraft to be particularly interesting as a master um because he seems to be the only master who is aware of his outside self that he he's yeah that is interesting. yeah because he um you know he when the master lovecraft slept he would dream of real world loves lovecraft's life mm-hmm. and writing then you know they, there's the frame where I, I have had no dreams of the man for a long time i think he is dead i think i am dead and in a hell
1: yeah. Oh, so the suggestion is that he he appear he closed his eyes in nineteen nineteen and appeared in die. But then every time he then closed his dream- eyes, yeah,
2: but he dreams of the real world.
1: Oh, interesting. And then continued to dream himself into the real world. Weird.
2: Yeah. And that's interesting. And it makes him unique amongst all of the um amongst all the masters that we've seen.
0: Yeah, he's yeah because he's he's the only one who retained some connection.
2: Yeah, yeah, which I, I thought I thought was fascinating. Mm-hmm. But yeah the the line the line that gave me my interpretation on the the orbs um, and the fallen is the the um, the line of, I understand better now. These cults form and each dreams up a world of their own. The worlds are stored here and fed upon. A dream is no escape. It was a dream to think it could be.
1: That was what t- triggered me to think that as well.
2: Yeah, but yeah, it's. I think it's. I think it's ambiguous. Mm-hmm. But some amb- ambiguity mm-hmm.
0: is fun. Yeah. Um, something that I find interesting is that as we get closer to the end, Chuck's increasing like sincerity. Because mm-hmm. I think it's like I think that this is the point. I I think. In this last quarter of the the series, uh, he is, like we have gone, I we have gone past denial and bargaining, and and you know we we're moving to. I I think this is Chuck is moving to accepting his fate, mm-hmm. and as yeah. we go along, we will see how that ends up. But he's the one like he's the one who
1: can't really afford to accept his fate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, And it's causing it's clearly causing problems.
0: Yeah. And like, as, as the end is coming closer for him, like he becomes, he he's not able to be carefree and, you know, mm-hmm. he's not able to play yeah. the role of the fool. Yeah. yeah.
1: I love that at the end of this issue, you get like the, mo- like the many tentacled monster. So you're like, of course it's Lovecraft. Of course there's a Cthulhu. Yeah. And then you turn and it's the doors and you're like, oh, oh no, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's such a brilliant mm-hmm. like little twist in, in at the end there. Yeah. It's so fucking clever. It just kills me. Oh, yeah. yeah,
2: in these in and I mean we'll talk about this more, but in these last four issues, Matt is just killing me here. Like oof. Yeah,
0: yeah he I mean he is I, like he is completely i i don't go into it in the i didn't go into it in the summary the the tentacles specifically like remind him of the tubes in his mother when she was in like urgent care and when she was in surgery and that the 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 watcher uh in the water has her eyes mm-hmm. and this all and it all just like i mean, he is still trying to he's a
1: goddamn mess yeah. is what Matt is.
0: I can't imagine that trying to trauma process and die is easy. Um and I think he's yeah, just trying fair. like he's on I I don't want to say autopilot.
1: No, I don't think it's autopilot at all. I think die, I think the fact that he is what he is in die means that his it's almost like he's it's not it's not that he's not it you know that trauma processing is difficult in die it's that it's almost like he's it's like his scars reopen. Mm-hmm. Yeah it's like the opposite of trauma processing it's like trauma reactivating yeah because he's that's what that's what being what he is in die does to him it 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 reactivates all of his trauma for for fuel.
2: Yeah mm-hmm this is also speaking of speaking of character death, you know, and um yeah, you're, you're prompt at the start of this. Um something I completely forgot to mention there is somehow I forgot about the fact that the probably the game that I have GM'd close to the most, like, you know, I maybe not the most in terms of number of sessions, but I have GM'd this a lot for a lot of different parties. Is Bluebeard's Bride? I've GM'd Mm. that a ton of times for friends. Um, I've GM'd it at Gen Con, and the the thing of the the watcher that is evocative of the like you know hospital tubes and everything is that's exactly the sort of thing that I put into that game. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's also that's also a game where you know the the player character almost inevitably dies. Yeah. yeah. Every game.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I that's one of the, that's one of the tools of like making personal horror is, mm-hmm. I mean, I will preface this by saying that uh, when you are running and constructing horror games, you should be working with your players to create things that will, you are not trying to traumatize your players. You are trying to make evocative responses yeah. for them that they will be interested in facing. Uh, that is, that is the that is the that is the challenge of running horror. You are not trying to like you know hurt your players. You are trying. To, you're still trying to entertain them. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like you know when I'm when I'm running that game, you know typically typically I haven't run it in a very long time, um, but I will usually kind of solicit the horror themes that the players are interested in as well as the setting. Um, I could absolutely see this as being the kind of thing that I'd put into a modern setting where, where somebody has express, you know, express interest in having like medical horror, Mm. which by the way, my, uh, my modern game setting of uh, Bluebeard's Bride Bluebeard is basically Elon Musk. <laughs> take, with wa- take, take with that what take take of that what you will. That's,
1: that's a level of horror I'm not comfortable with. <laughs> Fun bit of bab pod lore. Uh Bluebeard's bride, a conversation about Bluebeard's bride was the first conversation I ever had with Anna. Uh-huh. Uh you invited me to play Bluebeard's Bride uh in an online game because we had been talking about yeah. it in a channel. On the Discord. I
0: think that like that's not the first interaction we had, but it was like the first game we played together. Or um,
2: close, yeah.
0: oh like that would like that would have been so early on her, in her yeah like, our yeah. friendship. But yeah. Um on a Yeah, because I've run note,
2: so many games of that. Uh
0: on a funnier note, um Isabel has a thing of you irre- uh where like Chuck is like Chuck's like like, oh yeah, the, like, oh yeah, Lovecraft would have only written the Randolph Carter stories. And Isabel's like, you read enough Lovecraft to know that? Hell, forget read enough Lovecraft, you read. <laughs> I always saw you as more of a Garth Marenghi. I'm one of the few writers who have written more books that he's read, sorts. And Chuck says, hey, as I like to say, we're all one bad day away from being Garth Marenghi.
2: I guess that, I guess that answers our question from was it from last recording? I forget when it was last uh, yeah. last episode, but last recording of what what author is Chuck?
1: Yeah,
0: I know writers who use subtext; they're all cowards. I mean, frankly, that that's me as well. But
1: I love that every everybody hates Chuck almost as much as I do.
0: Yeah, including Chuck. Like, yeah.
1: No, I don't think Chuck hates himself. Oh, he it, hates, hates himself. <laughs> not we, as we can much talk as about I this do, next,
2: next, next, next uh, episode because yeah. we've got some but stuff he, to I say. I mean, about he definitely does. Yeah.
1: I'm just saying, not as much as I do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I like that everybody, everybody has an extremely low opinion of Chuck. I also want to talk about the dreamer. Yeah. What the fuck? Is there a motive there other
0: than just fuck you? I mean, the, the, the reasoning uh, says, uh, what do you want me to do? The ma- This master of dreams has ruled this realm for long enough. The length of his vision stretched to this moment, but no further. He is needed no more. He- so I think it is, he. Ha- uh, Howard here has no more dreams, so he is of no use to the dreamer. And frankly, I think the dreamer's like, oh, hey, you're leaving? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. It's a, uh- it certainly is a complicating choice.
0: Yeah. It is a clearing of the debts. And I have to imagine that at least on some level, I imagine that like a lot of the gods have got like, sure, like it's about making deals with gods, but it's still the God binder.
2: hmm.
0: And yeah, I got to imagine there's a little bit of resentment there. Yeah. OK. Any any closing thoughts before we delve deeper? Let's, let's
2: so. move on to the next one.
1: Yeah, the next one's a doozy.
0: We are on issue 18, Lines and Veils. Our quote from this comes from the title of an article of Dungeon Master Tips by Robert Hollander from Alarums and Excursions number no. 1 in 1975. Thou art God.
2: That's certainly an attitude on GMing.
0: We start with a flashback in 1993 after the group had come back from Die Sans Saul. Dom takes Angela to a bar where they're supposed to meet with Chuck, who Angela had started dating at the end of their time in Die. As they get there, Angela sees Chuck making out with a girl, and she splashes a drink in his face. Angela and Dom go to a river where they try to express their feelings, but the guess holds them back. Uh, Ash then narrates that she's not sure that she told the whole truth about their escape from Die. When saying the phrase to go home, Ash hesitated, and it was long enough for the Grandmaster to grab Saul. Back on die, they make their way through the dungeon, where Molly expresses worry that everything's too late. But Nat says there's still moves they can make to try to get home and make everything better. The dungeon is empty, and as ha- and as they go through, they eventually come to a place, a barricade where their sneaker prints the dust. There's a tomb, a book, and a well. Oh, we're in Moria, bitches. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Saul reads the book, finding that it is in fact his journal. The Grandmaster had killed them as the others escape. He thought they had come back for him, but the Grandmaster told him that he is the first of the fallen. He was chased across Dai, and he was forced to live as a monster. He went to the heart of Dai, made his way to the island, and through the cave. Finally, in the tomb, he made his last entry, and he realized that they weren't coming back for him. He reawoke in the dark, and as he pulled himself out of the tomb, the Grandmaster was there. The Grandmaster removed his helmet and revealed that he is in fact Dai... Like he is a big sparkly d twenty in his hat. The rules, the choices, every possibility. Dai asks him what he wants, and Soul says the group needs to know that they left him. Dai gives him the power of the Grandmaster until his next death, and return for bringing his friends here. Sol realizes in the present that he has been undead for twenty five years, now living half a life. Sol rages that he did this all for them, and they just left him, and they ran they ran from Die. Ash reveals the moments of the moment of her hesitation, which makes soul honestly feel worse. He's angry, but he's proud that he made a world that made Ash hesitate. Isabel asks about the reason for it and asks, asked if she can be trusted to do the ritual. She says that she should be gagged and that she doesn't know what she could do to stop them from leaving. As they talk about what to do next, a sound starts echoing through the dungeon, a monster of some sort. Saul says that he can't explain what it is and they run. They come to a bridge they find what is stalking them—a huge, fiery Balrog of ash.
2: Rutrow.
1: There's some stuff going on in this episode. Oh, gosh, or in this issue. Yeah. Uh, poor Saul. Yeah, yeah. Saul got screwed. No, no two ways about yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Frankly, spending 25 years as an un- undead, like. weird like i don't know as an undead dude given the power of a god yeah that would make me crazy too
2: yeah Mm -hmm. yep
1: (laughs) and he especially the first part like he spent a good chunk of the first part a good chunk of that running from people and hiding in a tomb like and losing all hope basically Yeah. yeah before the grandmaster was finally like okay You've given up. Now you're ready for me to use you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The design of the Grandmaster makes me laugh. It's it's (laughs) silly.
0: It's silly. It's good, but still, like, there's a point where it's just like a suit of armor with a giant floating d 20 on it is inherently silly.
2: It it reminds me of Mysterio.
0: Yeah,
1: that is exactly what I was gonna say. It looks it looks like Mysterio. Because it doesn't have a neck, and the die is seated in the shoulders like yeah. a dome. Yeah. yeah, oh my God. So it looks, yeah, it looks a lot like Mysterio, yeah. I love the Moria stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I'm, mm-hmm. it, it's it's so good. I'm like, it, it had been a while since we'd had the Tolkien stuff, and it's like, now we're, we're just looping all the way mm-hmm. back in here.
1: And I think, I'm curious what came first, the, the Moria or the Balrog in this. Mm-hmm whether the, the Moria was put here so that they could have the Ash Balrog or whether they knew they wanted to have some representation of Ash's fucking stuff. And so they, they, they hit on the idea of like a Balrog and Moria and made put Moria in there. But I'm, I'm very curious about that. Did you you just put that in the 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 question? Yeah, you, you? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, I I put it under your name so that you'll that, you know. Yeah.
1: But I I mean cuz it's perfect. Oh, it yeah. fits so well that that is where Saul like retreats to is the bottom of Moria to hide in Balin's tomb. But I I, I can totally believe that they would need some way to represent Ash's yeah. Reluctance to leave. And they they settle on this fiery Balrog esque vision of of
0: ash. Yeah, and and it's also like as we get to the end, and, and like and this is also the place of like Saul's darkest hour. He returns to the earth, the earth fantasy,
1: mm-hmm. like the,
0: the the original, which is fantasy great, book. which is so perfect. Yeah. yeah, I know
1: we're gonna talk. We'll talk about this more in the next episode mm-hmm. next week. But I mean, I guess we'll, we can leave it for next time. We can talk more about what the Balrog
0: yeah. is. Yeah, because that that that's a big chunk of nineteen.
1: But I think it's interesting that Ash finally has admitted something that we've sort of talked about the whole time, which is that she doesn't want to go, mm-hmm. and that doesn't trust herself to not hesitate again. Yeah, and has to be like doesn't know what she'll do and, and asks to be masked again or whatever it is that it's. Yeah.
2: There, there's also, there's a frame in here that I also found incredibly evocative. So when the grandmaster is like, you know, transforming Saul, um, Mm -hmm. he reaches into Saul's chest and pulls out the D 20. This is very evocative of the the fair gold to me Yeah,
0: oh yeah, definitely.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Um that we know that the, the fair the fair gold um grows inside the chests of the fallen. Um so
0: the fair gold yeah. is corrupted uh, I doesn't like, yeah, the like speculation gold's got to be dice. Yeah, the, like the fair gold is corrupted dice.
1: That's that's pretty good.
0: I, I also like the the idea that like both of Saul's eyes are replaced, and he says, "I'd seen die. I would never again see anything other than die." Oof. Yeah, because there there is a there is a price to be paid for such power.
2: Yep. You mean a you mean a price other than being you know undead? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Um. What I want to know is who spends time with Chuck and then dates him?
0: I think that when you are a teenager, you make some very stupid decisions. I guess. Um, And frankly, I, 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 if your sister is, if your sibling is dating a vampire, like (laughs) setting some low standards. Fair enough.
2: If if your sibling is cheating, is, is sleeping with the vampire that somebody else is dating too.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ash didn't set very good, uh, (laughs) set a very good example, uh, for romantic, uh, behavior there. Did she?
0: We will go into, uh, Ash's poor decisions and choices, uh, more in the next issue. Um, One thing that I do like is that even if it, even though it is, it's not a particularly like, I mean, it's in the scene, in the flashback, the primary colors uh, that are in, that are in the flashback in the bar, like really the only colors are like bi and trans pride colors. Yep. Yep. (laughs) that can't be accidental.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: but it's it's a good palette for like how that mm-hmm. works. Yeah. With that um, just like oh hey the, uh, those two those two love. I mean they're they're very different kind of disaster queers. Yeah, but that the, the, the Ash family well, that runs at them. I feel like.
1: Disaster is potentially not a strong enough word for Ash. Apocalypse queer. I don't know. Apocalypse queer might be the more appropriate <laughs> scale of, of of term. Yeah. For Ash, uh, he- when when you're yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it in the next t- episode.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, I'll note that that color palette comes back in the um, in the second to last page. As they are rushing across the bridge.
0: Oh yeah, I I think it's sort of present throughout the issue, um, but yeah, it's like as they're running and stuff. Yeah, that definitely. Yeah. The the most shiptastic thing of the of this issue is <laughs> Saul saying, "And if you paused, oh God, there's the ego. I'm glad I made a world that made you pause."
2: Yeah. It's all for you, Ash. Oh. Uh, it's yeah. all for you.
1: Saul is such a tragic figure.
0: Yeah.
1: Because you can't... Even when he's an undead, gob, like, smarmy goblin asshole, mm-hmm. you don't hate him. Yeah. And now you get to the end here, and you see... You you get his villain monologue, and it's not a villain monologue. He's very much a, a pawn in this. And... All he wanted to do was create something that, that Ash would love. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's so tragic. And he has paid such an incredible price mm-hmm. for it.
0: Yeah. The, the, the line he says it gave me the focus. It let me dig deep and find the lack of ethics to do it. I killed all those people. I studied for days. This obsession, it took me all these years, but I did it. I wasn't myself. I was myself more than ever, which. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it's, I, I think that frankly, um, Saul also has a line here. He says, um, I'm a blind man with no skills bar, knowing everything there is to know about role playing games. Let me tell you, Saul, at least you are going back to the right time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Because like, Man, like, you know, I mean heck, he could he could write games. Yeah, like, no,
0: I'm like, I'm like, well, the first thing i am do he's is He's gonna go
1: back and write the die RPG and and fucking crush it. He's gonna make a bucket on Kickstarter and <laughs> do fine. I,
0: I had two jokes um about this. Uh, the first one was uh soul, let me direct you to itch.io. And Saul might need to like spend some time reading and catching up on modern theory, but yeah, um, he would make a killing do like doing paid GM work. Yeah, yeah. Like he's got he's got to have some time to like readjust to society, everything. But I I I I am of the opinion that Saul would, you know, would actually do quite well.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm Hmm.
0: Also, this is my maybe one of my favorite jokes is when they get to to the tube, stay away from the fucking will, Chuck.
2: (laughs) 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 Oh, God, because yeah, that's yeah, because uh, obviously, Chuck is a particularly asshole ish version of the fool. Yeah. But like, Pippin's also that archetype. Not as much, not an asshole, but like.
0: Fool of, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, fool of a talk. Yep. Fool of a talk. Yep. Ah, God. Um. Okay. Anything else we want to talk about for this one?
1: <laughs> no,
2: I think we're good. I think, I think that's that for me.
0: So, folks, we are almost at the end. Um, we are going to this. The next uh, episode is going to be the our finale for our die miniseries. We're going to be covering issues nineteen and twenty, which are boss fight and open table until next time keep rolling the babylon project is an independent production all views expressed on the show are our own music information can be found in the show notes the rest of the show is licensed under a creative commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license